Well, good morning. My name is Bernie. It's uh, a privilege to be with you again and be able to open God's Word with you. Um, If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21. Uh, And after you've opened there, you can leave those open. We'll be referring again and again uh, for the next couple minutes to these verses. If you don't have a Bible, it should pop up on the screen there for you. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 18. This is God's word. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you just again pray with me? Father, we do again ask for your aid. We cannot uh, profit anything of our own minds and imaginations this morning. So by your Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that understand. Um, May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, During World War II, there was a man by the name of Abraham Wald. And uh, the brass that were part of the British Royal Air Force approached Mr. Wald, asking him to consult with them. And and what they wanted to do was add armor to their bombers to make uh, the bombers and the missions and the pilots and all those aboard uh, safer, if at all possible. And he was actually, had nothing to do with defense or anything like that. He was a statistician. And so... Uh, what they brought him in to do was to look at where planes were being hit. And so he did that. He ran this large-scale study of all the bombers and the planes that were returning uh, to Britain or to bases on where uh, they were actually being hit. And after um, visually laying his eyes on it himself and uh, looking at the massive numbers uh, that came back, he recommended reinforcing the planes where none of the planes had been hit. And the Royal Air Force is thinking, um, did we make a mistake here bringing in this guy, right? Like, you're telling us to reinforce the planes where, like, we've got thousands of planes coming back and, and none of them have been hit in these places. And you're telling us, reinforce the planes here. Yep, that's what I'm telling you. What they didn't understand was this. What they couldn't understand is that Wald had all this uh, data on damaged planes that were actually returning to the bases and returning to Britain. So the bullet holes that that Wald witnessed and that he he, um, captured in his data were all the places where a plane could be hit and still return safely to base. 
But he figured where the planes were being hit, the planes that didn't return, they were being hit in different places. The places where none of the planes that returned had been hit. Thus, armor to the surviving planes, planes that were out in the Royal Air Force, armor needed to be added where none of the bullet holes were. Some things are just counterintuitive. Right? Some things just, the way we would respond, that's not the way we should address a problem. The way we think about responding isn't necessarily the right way of going about something. And, and sometimes the facts of life confound us. You know, it's, it's actually safer to skydive than it is to run a marathon. I'm not doing either, but hey, just for your info. And, and here's another, the clouds that you, that you fly through, the clouds that are up above us, those beautiful, fluffy, uh, you know, soft, Cumulus clouds, an average cumulus cloud weighs 1.1 million pounds, the equivalent of 100 elephants or two statues, statues of liberty. Fact. Some of the realities and circumstances of life, they're just counterintuitive, Right? And some people have called God's kingdom an upside-down kingdom because the marks of the Christian life, the marks of what it means to live as a part of God's kingdom are maybe even more counterintuitive than the things we've just heard. They're, they're counterintuitive to our instincts. They're counterintuitive to our desires or to the well-established patterns of, of the way society runs and is ordered, the world all around us. And here in Romans 12, Paul is calling the Roman Christians to live in a way that is completely, entirely, and totally counterintuitive. Because... Our knee-jerk reaction when hit is to hit back harder. That's just, ugh, right? And, and while we might reason that revenge is a, a, a dish best served cold, guess what? We still think revenge is a dish to be served at some point. When it's most advantageous to us. Fight or flight, it's part of our human response, right? It's instinctual. Our tendency is to respond in kind. If somebody's kind with us, we can, we can be civil with them, right? But if somebody crosses us, well, then we, little harshness might come out. We might strike back a little bit. And while it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to love and to serve and to bless those who are out to harm us, to hurt us, to bring us down. The people of God, you are called to live 
at peace. Right? Living peaceably is our calling as the people of God. Living peaceably is our calling as the people of God. Look at verse 18. It's, it's right here. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Now, I get it. Sometimes, as, as the people of God, as the church, as Christians, we can have this kind of us-against-the-world mentality that, that can kind of set us up for this, this prickly posture towards uh, friends, towards neighbors, towards coworkers, uh, towards family members. And, and let's be clear, the, the passage is talking about people who would be enemies, right? Not, not necessarily those near and dear to us that, that are always lavishing on us with comfort and kindness. The reality is there will be those set against you. There will be those who, who are out to hurt you. Uh, n- not because um, you're a mouthy, cocky, annoying personality, right? But maybe simply because you identify with Jesus Christ, right? We will have enemies. In this world, you will have troubles. But a belligerent Christian, a a Christian who responds harshly to those, a belligerent Christian is is a contradiction in terms. An ungracious, unloving follower of Christ, um, it, it, it makes no sense. It's like coffee without caffeine. Like, what is that for? That, that makes no sense. Right? Living at peace, not only with, with brothers and sisters in Christ, but with those outside the covenant of grace who might look at us suspectly, who might treat us badly, loving them, living peaceably with them is part of life in the kingdom of God. It's part of our calling as the people of God. But notice that Paul qualifies this, right? Um, He qualifies this mark of the Christian life. Look at it again with me. So it's in your head. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, which means there's probably scenarios um, in which peace might not end up being the end result, Be- possibly because of the other party's refusal to, uh, to embrace you or to simply leave you alone or, or to live at peace with you. But notice the other qualifier, if possible. And I think what Paul might have in mind here is that Christ's people should never seek peace at the expense of faithfulness to the Lord. If possible, live at peace. There there are certain issues, certain um, Christian practices, certain elements of our Christian ethic, how we're to live, that we must never let go of simply to pacify those who 
um, uh, hate our insistence on those things, right? If someone tells us that we should give up gathering on this day, the Lord's Day, to celebrate Christ's victory over um, Satan's sin and death, if, if someone insists that we remain quiet about salvation and, and salvation alone in Christ Jesus, if, we, if, if, if somebody demands that we remain silent about Christ's authority over human sexuality, well, it might not be possible, right? if possible, to live at peace. There might be disharmony. It, it depends how that person is going to ref- respond to our faithfulness to God. We can't control how they will feel when confronted by, by the authority and dominion of Christ manifested in our lives, right? If possible, tells us this, faithfulness is never a casualty in the quest for peace. But living peaceably is our calling as the people of God. And I, I shouldn't have to say this, but I, I'm just going to say it. I, I think I need to. This doesn't give us the, the right as Christians to be abrasive about truth. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the phrase, if possible, as so far as it depends upon you, calls us to, to wise and, uh, and, and faithful consideration of how to be a faithful witness to Christ in the world, but but there are some in the Christian community who kind of like kind of as badge of honor um, to be a stench in people's nostrils, right? And they do so by being as repugnant and obnoxious about truth as they as they can possibly muster within themselves, right? So, it, just like pro tip here, like. Abortion and, and human sexuality and gender issues might not be the first thing you bring up with somebody after, hi, my name's Bernie. Right? If possible, so far as it depends on you. Our outlook, our endeavor as the people of God should be to live in harmony with other image bearers while witnessing witnessing to Christ, as long as God enables that. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. The, the question is, how can we do this, right? What gives us the strength to live that way, right? And what I think Romans 12 tells us is that we will likely only ever live at peace if we live our life in light of God's revelation, in light of who God has chosen to tell us uh, who he is. In other words, right living is the outflow of right thinking. Sound living, it, it comes out of sound doctrine. Obedience comes from the knowledge of God. And, and I get it. Sometimes we think, oh, come on, theology? Really? 
Who needs it? Just, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me what God wants. Let's skip all the theological jargon, right? But, but at the very point here in Romans 12, and we've just seen all of these commands, where the very point where Paul is getting just, uh, the rubber meets the road, he's getting really practical here. At this very point, Paul throws some theology on the table here. And he says, if you're going to live in that way, living peaceably with all, you're going to need this theology to do it. So what, what theology am I talking about? What do we need to know and embrace? And it's this. Here it is. You want to live at peace? Know and embrace this truth. God is a God of wrath. Wait, we're talking about living at peace. Yeah, you need to be certain that you know and embrace that God is a God of wrath. Look at what he says. He's just told us, live peaceably with all. Verse 18. Now look at verse 19 with me. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Right? He's quoting from Deuteronomy 32 here, 32, 35. And in that passage, the, the Lord is promising his people, Israel, that though they might be trampled on at certain points in the future, and they will, right? They will go into exile. They will be treated harshly and cruelly, uh, the worst imaginable human scenarios, they will be subject to those. Uh, and while they may be trampled on for a time, then God will rise up and fight on their behalf. That will happen. God would vindicate them. Right? God is a God of wrath. Living peaceably is our calling, and living peaceably is carried out in the knowledge of and trust in God as a God of wrath. Again, some of you might be thinking, wait, a path to peace that involves wrath. Like, that seems like a contradiction in terms. And, and the point Paul is making is that we don't, uh, that we don't bless, that we don't love, uh, that we don't um, live peaceably with those hostile to us in this instance because God is a God of love. No. We are actually freed to love and to bless and to live peaceably knowing that God is a God of justice and wrath. That's how we're freed up, to live peaceably and to love and to bless. He's a God who rights wrongs. He's a God who brings about justice. He punishes sin, right? He protects the vulnerable. We need to be convinced, contrary to the world's conception of, of the Lord, as a God of love, which, which is true insofar as the Bible defines that, but is, is completely misconceived in our society. But that God is, while also a God of love, God is also, and every bit as much, 
every bit as much a God of wrath. He doesn't simply, oh, buddy, you got hurt, and, and simply pat the injured on the head, right? Uh, he holds the guilty responsible. We need not worry about what's done to us in this life. Because God, the God of wrath, will right every wrong. We can live this way peaceably, even when attacked, hurt, mistreated, wronged. We can live peaceably only in the knowledge of the God we serve. Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. Vengeance is the Lord's. Now, we need to know God's a God of wrath, but I think it's also helpful to know the, the way that God is a God of wrath. How does God carry out his wrath? By what means does God carry out his wrath? How will God address our wrongs? You say, somebody's attacking me on Facebook. Um, my coworker is just on my case constantly because I identify with Christ. How is God going to right the wrong? Right? And there's at least two ways that are revealed in God's word that God writes these wrongs. For starters, we need to know that it doesn't involve us. You're not the solution to getting the wrong righted. You are not the solution. Look at verse 19 again with me. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Well, you're out. You're not part of the solution. You are not the means of God's wrath. It's pretty simple right there. Beloved brother and sister in Christ, never avenge yourselves. Don't strike back. That's not your spot. That's not your place. We are not the means of dealing, of God's dealing with aggressors, with wrongdoers, with sinners. But he does have means, though. And one of them is right here in the general context. Um, and I don't want to step on, on, on next week's message. But the first one is the civil authority, the government that God has placed in authority over us. We don't often think of government and God's wrath. But in chapter 13, you'll, you'll see it next week, Paul calls government the servant of God, an avenger. Huh, that word, avenger. Where have we thought? Never avenge yourselves. The government is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Right? So the government. But uh, the civil authorities. But even when, maybe, maybe, at some point in time, if Christians, brothers and sisters around the world, the government is hostile to them. They are the sinful aggressor. We can be assured that, we can be assured that God will right the wrong through his end-time wrath. If we trust in that. If we have faith that that will indeed happen, that this life is not all there is. 
I want to just for a moment step out of this passage. So uh, you can either follow on the screen or just keep your thumb there in Romans 12. Turn with me to Romans, uh, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 19. God as a God of wrath is, is something we find Genesis through Revelation. Uh, God's judgment, God's justice. And in Revelation 19, verse 11, this is the picture we see. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which, it is, by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, the Lord is a warrior. He judges and makes war. He will set things right. He will square accounts. If not now, in this moment, this week, this month, in the end. We need to trust in the certainty of God's wrath. And I think we push God's wrath from my, God's God of love, isn't it wonderful? God is a God of wrath. Our text declares the truth. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. They said, says the Lord. Paul doesn't just include that quote because he wasn't sure where to kind of chop off the Deuteronomy 32 quote. God's wrath is a certainty. He promises, says the Lord. God is not a, a man or a woman that he should lie. Says the Lord means that he will not fail in doing, in upholding his word. He will not let one word fall. We need to trust in the justice of God's wrath. He will repay. No more is needed. No more is required. You say, you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know how this person is attacking me. God's justice will account for that. Do you believe that? Trust in the Lord means making space, leaving room for God's wrath to come. Verse 19, again, the beginning. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never try to settle the score on your own. So we do this by, by taking a step back from the situation, not escalating the hostilities. In other words, we don't attempt to uh, kick God off his throne, take his place, and say, oh, look, wrath is mine now. Vengeance is mine. You see, when, when we take vengeance, we are attempting to dethrone God, to take his place. Because vengeance belongs to him, not to us. So when we, when we take matters in our own hands, when we settle the score, when, when we try to, to square the accounts to get back at somebody, 
We're saying, God, I'm God. Vengeance is mine. No, we're to leave room, make space, and not take God's place as the avenger of wrongs. Not playing God, trying to take his role. What's your reaction when you're wronged? When somebody cuts you with harsh words? When a family member, one you, when you love, you think is so allied to you, they turn their back on you. When a coworker just double crosses you, what, what's your reaction? What's your response? If you're like me, the, the blood begins to boil, right? And the mind begins to devise, here's what I'm going to do, right? You're thinking about the throat punch. I'm there. I'm there. But we are called to live peaceably, considering the nature of our God, making space for the demonstration of his justice, not trying to rob him of his glory, and just stilling our hands, waiting. Living peaceably is carried out in the knowledge of and trust in God as a God of wrath. But Paul goes further. Not only are we to refrain from striking back against those who have wronged and hurt us, living peaceably actually entails blessing the wrongdoer. Blessing the wrongdoer instead of avenging the wrong. Living peaceably actually entails blessing the wrongdoer instead of avenging the wrong. Look at verse 20 with me. To the contrary... Okay? Not only are you not supposed to strike back. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul's again here appealing to the Old Testament. It's Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. And, what, and it's just a direct quote. And what he's saying is that Blessing and aid and comfort and love are to be lavished upon those who hate us and seek to do us wrong. We're not called to merely have good feelings for those who wish us ill. And that's hard enough. We're not called merely to have positive feelings towards those who do us wrong. We are called to physically tangibly bless them. Hmm. We are called to bless those who have wronged us at expense to ourselves. We're giving away food and drink. Right? It says, in so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. Now, please, this isn't some sneaky, sanctified payback. That's, that's not what you will heap burning coals on their head. Like, Oh, Lord, thank you for this sneaky, sanctified way of, like, throat punch. This is this the holy way. No, what, it's not what Proverbs or Paul is talking about. What, what they're referring to is, is the change in the enemy which the deeds of love affect. Perhaps even repentance, right? Living peaceably actually entails 
blessing the wrongdoer instead of avenging the wrong. So when your coworker wants to see you fired because of your intolerant Christianity, you're called to stay longer than you would normally stay at work to help them finish up their project. When, when your neighbor mocks you and, and gives you our time or tells your kids that you're fools because of your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You're, you're called to, to set the alarm a half hour earlier and go start shoveling their driveway and their walks so they can get to work on time. Perhaps it's a simple gesture of a gift to a family member who's written you off because they just don't like the way you live. Whatever it is, know this, we are actually actively called to bless and love those hostile to us. Living peaceably actually entails blessing the wrongdoer. It's mind-numbing. Blessing the wrongdoer instead of avenging the wrong. And the end result is this. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Living peaceably unseats evil. You see, the, divine, the, the design of evil is not merely to wound us, but also to woo us into responding in kind. I say that again. The design of evil is not merely to wound us. That's it, yes. But it's also to woo us into responding in kind. Evil wants to overcome us and draw us into its evil. It calls us, evil wants to call us to an unholy response, to an unholy act, to meet evil with evil. The enemy of our souls wants to further cloud the Lord's glory and, 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 and rightful rule, his vengeance, by our response. He wants to further distance God's character from our lives by having us take up revenge. But we overcome evil. We take away its power when we respond with good, with blessing, with love. We disarm evil. You see, what Paul's saying in this passage is when treated wrongly, trust in God and toil in good. When hurt, look to the wrath of God, the God of wrath, to vindicate us and then bless others. When you are mistreated, take refuge in God's character and good, do good to those who do you wrong. When treated wrongly, trust in God and toil in good. It, there's one more word I, I, I want to just address in this passage. And I think it addresses two, two sorts of people in this room. Some of us We've read through this passage, and you, you know, like, this week, you have sought revenge. You have struck back. You have lashed out. You have tried to square accounts. You've tried to settle the score. You know you sinned against God's law, right? 
And then there are maybe others of you, maybe just one or two of you sitting here thinking, this is a load of, like, I've never heard something so absurd. What kind of garbage is this? Like, we're just going to be human doormats. And the word I, I want all of us to hear is the word that begins verse 19. Beloved. Beloved. Okay, what big deal, beloved. Paul is talking to one-time enemies of God. Now, richly loved and blessed in Christ Jesus. How can we love and, and bless those who actively do harm to us? How, how can I... I'm guilty. How can I, I live with violating God's law by hanging on to this word, beloved? Because maybe we've missed the fundamental message of Christianity. The fundamental message of Christianity isn't do good, be good. Right? The fundamental message of Christianity is when we were enemies of God, when we were living in opposition to God's will and rule, when we sought him a harm, when we sought to do him ill, even while we were in this state of sin, God loved us in Christ. He blessed us. Well, how did he do that? By his nature, because he's a God of wrath. What do you mean? He laid on Christ Jesus the wrath prepared for you and me. How were we, when enemies brought back and reconciled to God, how could God love sinners such as, as you and me? Because he poured out his wrath. And then, in Christ Jesus, he blessed us. He loved us. The Father blessed those who hated and rejected him in Christ. The, the Father offered up his only begotten Son for those who would trust him because of the wrath he laid on Christ. This is, this is good news for, for those of us who have failed in this this week because we find forgiveness, we find grace at the foot of the cross in the person of Christ Jesus on whom the wrath of God was laid. We find blessing and love and acceptance there. And, and for those of you for, for whom this makes no sense whatsoever, you're right, it doesn't make sense like just under the sun. But, but under the sun, Christ Jesus, the, the, the message of the scriptures, it makes all the sense in the world. We're doing so little in response to the great, great love with which we have been loved. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we do come to you now in the name 
of Jesus. The one on whom you laid our guilt and shame and upon whom you poured out your wrath. Thank you, Father, for offering up your Son, for blessing us when we did not deserve your blessing. God, I pray that every one of us, that you would grant every one of us the strength to trust in Christ Jesus, to find no worthiness in ourself, but to find our claim to you in Jesus, to find our blessing not because we were good and because we deserved it, but that we would find our blessing in Christ Jesus, upon whom you poured out your wrath. Father, and I pray that out of a response to that, that you would uh, grant us the strength this week to respond with kindness when met with harsh words, to respond with love when met with hate, to respond with blessing when torn down. Father, I pray that you would grant strength to some as they deal with family members later today or later this week. Grant strength to some in this room who, who will deal with co-workers. May they just cling to your nature as a, as a God of wrath. So doing, grant us peace in our lives. Make us faithful to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.